See, I love this, and I wanted to share this with you because when you see those kids, they're each doing this. They're each going through the Christmas story, and when you get to that last one, and they look in a mirror, and they see themselves and say, what God wants me, it's not just because it's a mirror. There's genuine shock in their, their minds, and it's the same thing. God wants you. And I know some of you are like, no, 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 he wants us all, right? God wants you. You know, we've been talking about worship and the postures of worship and lifting our hands and giving. But there's one posture that God wants above all things. Only one thing he demands. It's your whole heart. It's everything of you. He wants you to pour yourself out to him. There's no other way other than to do this. He doesn't just want your worship. He wants you. He wants your whole life. In 2 Chronicles, it says that the eyes of the Lord go back and forth upon the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Guys, the eyes of the Lord are all over this world seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you. Is your heart fully committed to God's ways? You know, for the Hebrew thought, when you said to pour out your heart, when you said give your whole heart, the heart was everything. It was spirit, soul, and body, your soul, mind, will, and emotions. It was to give everything to God, not be divided, not be half-hearted, but your whole heart. And you're giving yourself to him is your ultimate act of worship as a living sacrifice, pouring out your heart your whole life. Paul said this, he said of his life in Christ, that I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And at first you're like, what is he talking about? See, in Timothy, a little bit later, he uses the same expression. He says, I'm at the end of my life. I've run the race with endurance. I've done what Jesus Christ has called me to. And it was a picture in the Greek when they would get a glass of wine at the end of the dinner and pour it out. And it meant my life's over. I've done it. I've run the race. But earlier he says to Timothy, I am being poured out as a drink offering. And what Paul's saying is, Timothy, that's great. You know, that thing at the end when we finally go to be with the Lord, I'm excited about that. I've run the race. But Timothy, you need to understand that every day of my life was being poured out unto death so Jesus Christ could be revealed. In 2 Corinthians he says, I die daily. And you're like, whoa, Paul, wait a second. All right, I thought this whole Christianity thing was like the Happy Meal Express, you know, like the Happy Meal Christianity. You're saying I have to die? You're saying I have to pour myself out? Paul's saying, yes, you must die to yourself. And we've been talking about these acts of worship. But he doesn't just demand that you lift your hands or give. But the ultimate act of worship is pouring ourselves unto spiritual death as an offering, as a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, that word bodies, spirit, soul, body, it's everything right there, to God because of all he has done for you. Think about the cost. And it says, goes on to say, Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. What does God find acceptable? A living sacrifice. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. God doesn't just want your songs. He wants your heart. Don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's not an accident that right after he says, become a living sacrifice, that Paul's like, hey, this world system, don't let it get you down. Don't let it rob you of your joy. Don't let it rob you of the life in Christ. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. See, the Lord is saying that I've, what I find acceptable is you crawling on the altar 
as a living sacrifice. That's the only way to live here on earth is a life to death to yourself so that my life can be seen in you. Jesus is like, do they see you or do they see me? That is the question for each one of us here. See, we have this Christianity without a cost. We have this casual Christianity stuff where grace is cheap. And we just want a few blessings from God. We come in here and we just come to God and say, man, if I could just kind of feel good. And then we step out and live any way we want to live. Let me tell you, it costs Jesus everything to pour out his grace. Why do you think something so costly as the cross that purchased us with his blood would not demand our souls, our life, our all. Remember the old hymn, as I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died? My riches gain, I now count as loss. When you look at the cross, you say, use me, Lord. Here am I, send me. But we avoid that. We're into cheap grace and casual Christianity. So much so that we don't even realize when Jesus was on the cross, when he was offered myrrh mixed with a sedative, basically he was offered drugs because he was suffering so much. Jesus is like, no, I don't need that. I need to feel the full weight, the full wrath of my father so that they won't have to feel the full wrath of my father. He did that for you and for me. And what makes us think we can step out of here and live the way that we want to when we are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus See, why do we think it's God's job to make us comfortable here on earth when his son lived in discomfort? We want a relationship with God without a cost. We want personal revival without a cost. We want revival for TBA without a cost. But Jesus says this, you want revival? It starts with an altar. It's opposite of casual Christianity. Think about it. Think about an altar. Because you kind of hear that living sacrifice and we kind of roll that around sometimes. Think of the place of an altar. It's not a place of skipping lambs willing to go to the slaughter, but of bloody sacrifice. We think of an altar as a place to be comforted or to receive blessings. Thank you, Lord, that you comfort us. Thank you that you give us blessings. But God is in the redeeming business. He doesn't just want you to come and be comforted. He wants you to be redeemed powerfully by the blood of the lamb and the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, nowhere in the Bible is the altar a place of blessing. An altar exists for one thing and one thing only. Just ask a little lamb that was brought to the altar. This is not a place of blessing. It's a place of death. It was a place to access the presence of God that the priest could move forward to the Holy of Holies. You are the priesthood of believers, by the way. And you could access the presence of God. See, we don't earn our salvation. But the way to the Holy of Holies through Christ Jesus our Lord is when we surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice. Notice living, meaning willing. God's asking, it's a matter of the will that you sacrifice your life, that you get up on the altar. It's not of emotions. Guys, God doesn't want your tears. He wants your life. God wants you. See, most of us want the presence without the sacrifice. We want a spiritual life without the personal cost. But Jesus says, it will cost you everything. If you want life, you must die first. Jesus said this in Matthew if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, die to himself, take up his cross. And in the Greek, that is daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own 
soul. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. See, here's the deal. Only dead men see him. We are called to die to ourselves. Only a person who has died to themselves can be filled with the life-giving presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We provide the body. He provides the fire. They would send the fire on the sacrifice when it was done. We have to crawl up on the altar. But the problem is, is the altars are empty these days. The idea of worship that is costly has been reduced to a mixture of the world with a little bit of God dabbed in for fire protection. Well, I can just do a little bit over here and I'll be okay because salvation is so great, right? But I can live the way I want to. But God wants without mixture, a people without mixture. You know what I mean when I say without mixture? When Jesus said a little leaven goes through the whole dough, a little sin goes through the whole batch, he was looking for a people without mixture, a sanctified people. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. A people of the book he's looking for that are filled with the Holy Spirit fire, a set-apart people, holy, pure, without mixture of the world. Listen to what this verse says. What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Hear this, Christian. Hear this, believer. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The living God is in you if you've accepted Christ. It goes on and says, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Now listen, he's not talking about people, for God so loved the world. He loves people. He's saying idols. He's talking about the world system. Come out from the world system so that when you're in the world, they see me. Therefore, come out from them. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God says no mixture. Crawl up on the altar. Be filled with Holy Spirit fire. You are the temple, the house houses my presence the holy spirit let me consume your life you can't produce anything you can't abide in worldliness and jesus jesus said abide in me alone because apart from me you can do nothing guys just the simplicity of agriculture teaches we can't abide in the world and in jesus one is going to win what about for you we have to put ourselves in position on the altar and he strikes the match He sends the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume the offering. Our job is to crawl up on the altar and wait, to choose him over comfort, to choose him over mixing with the world, to choose his future force and not ours. You must become the fuel of God. See, fire doesn't fall on empty altars. You must become his fuel. If you want the fire of God, you must become the fuel of God. You must become the fuel of God. Jesus sacrificed himself to win our salvation. He was called, but he has called every person who wants to follow him to do what? To lay down their own lives, pick up their cross, and follow him. That's how you do it. Not to be gross, but kind of participate me with, here with me. But what do you think on the altar was consumed by fire? Flesh, right? What does flesh represent in the Bible? Sin, selfishness, self-seeking, the me mentality. And God cannot abide in sin. He is perfect and holy, set apart. 
See, the more that I die to the flesh and I reckon it dead by faith. Remember, the scriptures in Romans says, when you believed in him, you were crucified with Christ. Therefore, you no longer live. Not I, but Christ lives within me. But Paul also said that we must reckon it dead by faith. The flesh dead by faith. He has rendered sin powerless on the cross. And the closer we get to God, the closer he gets to us. He will reveal himself more if you're willing to die to yourself. God wants to inhabit his people. He doesn't want just visitation. He's like, oh man, it's so cool that they showed up on a Sunday. That's so awesome. I'm so glad you're here. And then you walk out and you're like, I have nothing to do with God. God's not interested in visitation. He wants habitation. He wants to inhabit the praises of his people. He wants to inhabit a church that's willing to go, to go into all the world. That's what God is looking for. See, most of us, we're just okay with God's omnipotent presence. You know, he was here before you ever got here. His presence was here. When you woke up, he was there. When you were asleep, he wasn't. God's omnipotent presence, he's everywhere at all times. His presence is everywhere. But his manifest presence is different. And few of us seek after him wholeheartedly and say, God, bring your manifest presence in the church. I'm not content just to show up and sing a song. I want you, Lord. I want your presence in my life. See, there's a difference. Do you desire the world? See, if there's flesh present, remember what we said flesh was. If there's flesh present when God God comes, they don't have to be dead flesh because nothing can live in his presence. The only mortal thing that can remain in the manifest presence of God is dead flesh. Only dead men see his face. God cannot come close to you because you reek of the world. First John and James say, friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God. When David broke the heart of God with adultery, it took a year before he could finally repent. And when he finally did, God said, out of all things, David, out of all things, out of all the things, this is what broke my heart the most, David, that when you sinned and had adultery, here's the thing that broke my heart, is you caused my enemies to mock me. Are you causing the enemies of God to mock him by the way you're living? See, the problem is most of us are content to preserve some bit of fallen flesh or life or the fleshly ambitions, while lightly clinging to the hem of Jesus' garment of salvation. If I just kind of clo- hold here to the, the garment of his salvation, but I can do what I want. It keeps us from spiritual famine, but we miss out on the fullness of joy in his presence, the feast at his table, and the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, to God, our willingness to get on the altar is a signal that we want to die to ourselves so Christ can live in us. And it signals that God can come close to us with what? himself he's the prize he's the treasure i love what moses said see moses got this moses got this it says in the scriptures that he reveals his secrets to them who fear him and the secrets of his covenant moses got this he didn't just want to see god at work he wanted to know god he wanted to know his secrets he wanted to know the secrets of his covenant moses said show me your glory i love the song that we sing show me your glory show me your glory but i love god's response because you think he'd be like, oh man, somebody wants to seek my face. That's great, but here's God. This way he's like, oh, you want to seek my face? You want to see my face, Moses? I'm sorry, because only dead men see my face. Now, most of us would hear that. We'd move on, right? The price is too costly. It's too much. But Moses is crazy. I love it. He risks all. It doesn't deter him. He says, I want to see you, God. Show me your glory. But the price is death. And he presses in anyway. And remember, if you remember the story, God hides him in the cleft of the rock and he passes over him 
and he sees the essence of God. See, for us, it's not a physical death, but death to self. Moses was in pursuit of God. He wanted God, not fame, not material things, not even miracles or gifts. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know his character. In Psalm, I love it, it says this, Psalm 103, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Here's the problem. The people of Israel were invited to come up the mountain to a wedding ceremony at Mount Sinai, and they said no. Only Moses said yes. How are you giving God your no when he's inviting you up to Mount Zion where there's thousands upon thousands of angels rejoicing in his glad welcome? Are you hidden in the clefts of the rock? Show me your glory. It sounds too much for me, God. It sounds too much for me. Moses was caught up in seeing him face to face. But the problem is God says, you can't see my face. You have to die. We hear that and so we're content to say we've done our religious duty and we return to life as usual. Has God messed you up? Because I want God to mess me up so much that I can't live the way I want to live anymore. That I want to live the way God wants me to live. We can't do things as usual when God, you get a glimpse of God. When we discover that God's best and deepest treasures require death to self, we often don't pursue him any further. We have no burning desire to see God's glory face to face. See that word when he says, show me your glory, the glory is the kabod, the kabod. And I love this expression. It's the weighty glory of his presence. It's not just a little bit of a presence. It's the weighty glory of his presence. I want to see the essence, Father. But many people want to spend time looking for a shortcut to God's glory. A shortcut to God's glory. They want the gain without the pain. They want the gain without the pain. You see, salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. But God's glory will cost you everything. It cost him everything on the cross. So it will cost us everything to carry the weight of glory. I'm not talking about earning salvation, but I'm talking about housing the presence and the power of God. Are you content with religion? Are you content with a song and a prayer and a sermon? Are you content with a few blessings from God's hands? Is that what you're looking for? Has God wrecked your life? See, the greatest blessing doesn't come from God's hand. It comes from his face. It changes us. It changes us but your flesh holds back the glory of God. See, the God of Moses is willing to reveal himself to you today, but it's not gonna be a cheap hallelujah. See, we're gonna be singing this song at the end, a Christmas hallelujah, but we're not talking a cheap hallelujah here. We're seeing the men and women of God who will stand up and say, I'm in, I'm all in, I'm wrecked by you, God. Wreck me some more, I'm all in. I'll go where you want me to go, God. That's what God is looking for. I'll do whatever you want, whatever you want. I will serve you. I will die to my opinions and expectations. I will die to comparison. I will die to my sin. I will die to my own dreams, the attitudes of my heart and my future and say, Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. I will trade these blessings. Thank you for the blessings, Lord, but I want the blesser more than the blessings. He's looking for a people who want the blesser more than the blessing. Who will be, pursue him? I love Moses. He's crazy. Most people would turn away, but he risked all. And he's looking for people like that. See, for many of us, the glory is missing. The weight of his presence isn't in our lives. We won't pay the price to pick up our cross daily and follow him. There's this time in the Bible when the glory had departed in Israel. For the Israelites, 
the glory of the presence was represented in the Ark of the Covenant. If you guys remember Indiana Jones and seeing that box and the cherub and their wings and they're covering their eyes. But it represented the mercy seat where the smoke cloud of his presence filled the temple with glory. And remember in the New Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the missing presence, the kabod, the missing kabod of his presence. If you go back to Samuel, there's a priest. And remember, you're the priest of the believers named Eli and his sons. And his sons lead Israel astray. And so God comes to Eli and says, I'm sorry, but I'm taking my fire and the glory and the power away. And the Ark of Covenant gets captured by the Philistines. It's a funny story because the Philistines put it in the, the temple of their god, Dagon. And the next morning they wake up and the statue is cracked, broken, bowed down to the Ark of His presence. It's a beautiful picture. But they don't get the ark back for 20 years. But when he goes to Eli, he says, Eli, don't you understand? The glory has departed Israel because your sons have led my people astray. Don't you remember that when you put the sacrifice in the altar, my fire would come down? You didn't have to light a torch. My fire fell from heaven. Is there no fear of you before my eyes to walk in my ways, Eli? Why have you let your sons and not discipline them? Why have you not let them walk in the ways of the Lord? And the ark is gone. Till 20 years later, David's like, we gotta get the presence of the Lord back. We gotta get it in the temple again. We need the glory that represents Israel and all of God's people. And that's where I wanna take you today. If you look in 2 Samuel, if you have your Bibles or app on your phone, we're gonna be in 2 Samuel 6. It says this, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Belah in Judah, to bring up there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Get that right there. They set the ark of God on a man-made new cart. And they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. Not a good thing, he's not a priest. You can't walk before the, the ark of God. Then David and all in Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, kind of like our Sunday morning worship. They had the castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, cisterns, um, cisterns, cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. An ox is a symbol of strength in the ancient world, but it can't even carry the weight of glory. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of the irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. Remember, his name means strength. Outbreak against strength. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household and everything he has because of the ark of God. This is what I want you to get right here. So David went to bring it up, up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Listen, listen to this. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, you've got to picture this. This isn't a new cart anymore. This isn't oxen. They're carrying it in the right way. They have it on their shoulders. 
He's saying from the start of their journey, which some people think was a seven to 15 mile journey, every six steps, it's gonna be a significant number, every six steps, they had to sacrifice a bull, <coughs> excuse me, and a fattened calf. And it says that David wearing a linen ephod, it's a priestly garment, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. See, the first time they had carried it wrong. There's a prescribed way to carry the glory, the glory of his presence. We don't do it in our own strength. Uzzah's name means strength, and the oxen is a symbol of strength. It's basically, I'm going to do this in my own strength. I'll serve in my own way. I'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, God, but I don't know about what you really want me to do. And there's an outbreak, an outbreak against Uzzah which means human strength. I don't need your human strength to carry my glory. See, God's glory broke out against the flesh, carrying the present. Only dead, repentant flesh can touch his glory. Only through Christ do we enter in. They relied on the oxen to carry the glory instead of human shoulders. The oxen was a symbol of the ancient world of strength, power, and wealth. They were saying, God, I can carry you. I got some wealth. I got some power. I got some strength. And God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I didn't elect oxen to carry my glory. I elected you, human beings, to carry my glory. Think about this. Most of you, we won't pick up the cross. They have a seven to 15 mile journey. It's sort of like walking to the temple, our heavenly temple, on this life that we're walking towards. The second time they do it right, but there was a cost. They didn't put that heavy ark on their shoulders and walk casually for 15 miles like skipping lambs like a stroll through the park. This time when they came to the gates of Jerusalem, they didn't look fresh and sharp. I noticed all of us here look pretty fresh and sharp in our worship, right? Their robes were stained with passionate marks of bloody sacrifice. The mud and sweat marked with their worship. The weakness of man is what will carry the ark of God's presence. We live out of weakness and his strength will manifest in us. See, every six steps they took, six is, is, represents man in the Bible. And it's like this, they're walking along and every six steps they're like, God, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't carry this, I'm just a man, I'm just a man, or I'm just a woman, and they carry six steps. God, I know you've called me to an amazing future, but I can't do it in my own strength. I have to have the fire of God, I have to have the presence, I can't carry your weight, God. And they walk six more steps, and they say the storms of life start coming on them, and they say, God, this has bent me down, I don't understand why this is happening, I need you, come to me. I'm just a man. I can't do this on my own every six steps. God, you've called me to greatness, but I'm not great. Only you are. You have to be great in me, God. God's calling us to live in weakness so strength can be seen in us. The second time, they carried it the right way through sacrifice. David, in First Chronicles, says this to the priests. He says to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves. That word consecrate is to sanctify ourselves from the flesh. The New Testament commands the same thing and to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I prepared for it. It was because of you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that our Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Do you catch that? They didn't sanctify their flesh. They didn't inquire of him and they didn't do it in the prescribed way. Let me tell you, New Testament believer, what the prescribed way is. It's the cross. Our dying comes through his dying. We lay our egos on the cross to crucify our will, to lay our agendas and opinions aside, to carry the weight of his glorious presence. Only dead men see his face. So where do we start? 
The New Testament equivalent of death starts with repentance, brokenness, and humility before the Lord. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's time to cleanse out the temple. Guys, do you remember when Jesus stepped a foot in the temple in Jerusalem? What happened? It wasn't pretty. He cleaned out all the uncleanness in there, all the merchants, everything. And we hear that story. It's like, whoa, Jesus is upset. That's interesting. But we don't realize what happens right after he does that. Revival comes. Healing comes. I'm hearing reports around our nation, West Virginia, different places, that revival is happening. Why can't it happen here? Will we pay the cost, the personal cost, to carry our cross daily, go where he wants us to go, so revival fire can come to this church? I'm telling you, for the past three years, God is calling to revival. We've sensed it, we've known it, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think it's going to be soon, and I'm excited. But there is a cost. It's time to cleanse the temple like Jesus did in the money changers. Cleanse it. Remember what Jesus said? My father's house will be what? A house of prayer. And revival will break out. Who will pay the cost to have the weighty glory of God, of the manifest presence upon them? Will you pour out your heart? Will you pour out your life? Will you allow God to take you through repentance and brokenness so his kabod can be returned? See, I didn't tell you one of the things. When Eli and the ark depart, there's a woman who has a son, and she names her son Ichabod. Some of you immediately know that, and you didn't know it was a Hebrew word, because you're remembering some literature in a Disney movie, Ichabod Crane. Ichabod means no glory. It means the glory has departed, and she named her son that. I'm like, man, if I'm the son, I'm mad. I'm walking into school, like, hey, I'm no glory, what's up? How you doing? But see, that's how many of you are living. Ichabod. And God wants to return the kabod, the glory of his presence through repentance. God wants to cleanse the temple. What if Jesus showed up and what did he have to cleanse out of you? What would he point out in you? And he would do it lovingly, but I'm not saying he wouldn't do it angrily. It would always be out of love. This verse in 2 Chronicles, it paints it all. It's the verse that our church needs to get. It's in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal them and forgive their sins and heal their land. And you're like, well, land? So he would make them prosperous? He would heal their land? Yes. But for New Testament believers, this is what it means. You're called to a life of fruit and productivity. Remember the word in the sower in the heart? 30, 60, 100 times fold, multiplying in your old age. That's what God has called you to. God has called you to that. So much of our lives are filled with kabod, with failure and a lack of fruit because we haven't allowed the kabod to come back in. We haven't let the presence to come in, to abide in Jesus, in Christ our Lord. As God is gonna call you out today. What is he saying to you right now? What's blocking the glory of God in your life? The blood of Jesus gives us access to God. Repentant worship attracts God. I'm not talking about salvation by works. I'm talking about the passionate pursuit of God and giving up whatever stands in the way. And it may not be like the person next to you. Stop comparing. God wants to move upon your heart. The kabod wants to return. Are you caught up in sin or indifference? Repent. 
Are you caught up in doubt? Repent. God is calling you. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not talking about striving with God. That happened on the cross. You believed, you received right standing. You're justified. You have his glad welcome to the body of Christ to come into his presence. I'm not talking about the payment for your sins. I'm talking about paying the price for relationship. See, these are both altars. The manger is an altar. He gave up glory to be found in a manger. And he gave all to be found on a cross. See, we could come to the altar because he came to these altars first. We love because he first loved us. We die because he first died for us. He died to his rights. He chose a manger over a throne. He gave up angels for barn animals. He gave up a crown of gold for a crown of thorns to have you. God loves you. What does God want for Christmas? You. I want the band to come up. And today I want you to do this as a symbol that you're willing to crawl up on the altar. There's mirrors in here. You can put them on your tree. You can remember that what God wants is you. God wants your whole heart. He wants to pour out your heart. Next Steps is available, but I want you to be able to come up during the worship and spend some time. You can bow down here. You can pray. You can go in the back where nobody can see you. You can go to Next Steps if you need prayer, if you need prayer for healing, whatever it is you need, go over there. But come up to the altar as a sign that I'm willing to give it all. I'm willing to be crazy like Moses and say, God, show me your glory. Let the kabod return. Are we willing to pay the price for personal revival and revival for TBA Church? Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. I thank you that you are God Almighty. We just ask that you would rest upon us, God, your glory and your presence. Holy Spirit, that you've come into this place, Father. You can answer every doubt. You can answer everything, God. You are the God of the universe. You stand outside of time. You hold everything in your hands, Father. We praise you for that. Now, Holy One of Israel, God, I pray this for your blessing on this time. God, I pray that people would surrender their hearts to you. They would bow before the altar. That they would bow before you as their king. That they would go your way and not their own way. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. While you stand, let me tell you one more thing. It's a beautiful verse in scriptures. Go ahead and stand if you want. And it says this in the scripture, it says, Now, O God, arise and come to your resting place. Where's the resting place? It's you. You in the ark of your might. Come, Lord. Come to your resting place. Arise, O God. May God arise in this place in your heart by faith in Jesus Christ.